through the blood of Christ, not money, I'm going to redeem you. I am going to set you free from sin, from Satan, from shame, from the law, from the world, from death, from hell. I'm going to give you victory, and I'm going to give you a future you can count on. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Quickly, if you have your Bibles, open them to Isaiah chapter 52. I've got a long way to go and a very short time to get there. How many ever read the Peanuts cartoon strips? How many ever watched the Peanuts show? They're bringing out brand new Charlie Brown stuff and uh, you know, one of the things I loved about Charles Schultz is he was a very in-your-face Christian, and he would write Christian stuff uh, all the time into the Peanuts uh, uh, articles and the, their cartoon strips. It's much like Johnny Hart, uh, The Wizard of Id, um, uh, what's some of the other ones that he did? Uh, yeah, he did like three or four different strips, and, and all the time I loved it, especially when it came around Easter time. Because I remember the picture one time that he, that Johnny Hart drew, he had this picture of, uh, of two ants. You know how he drew the ants and, and he, would, he would draw it. How many remember Johnny Hart, the cartoonist, okay? He would draw this and all of a sudden these guys were having a great, uh, I ask you, the guy and his wife were having the ant and his wife, wife ant. Yeah. We're having this deep conversation and, and, uh, the male, the, 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 the husband aunt, that sounds strange. The husband aunt kind of said, you know, can you imagine anybody that would lay down their life for somebody, that would die for somebody that they didn't even know? And she said, I know one that would. And then in the next screen, you find the picture coming back. And the rock they were on was shadowing the image of a cross. Very, very straightforward. Well, Charles Schultz did many of the same things, especially his Christmas program, Charlie Brown Christmas. Well, in the Peanuts comic strip, Linus was commenting and talking to Charlie Brown. And he was talking to Charlie Brown about a problem. And he commented to Charlie Brown, he said, I guess it's wrong to always be worrying about tomorrow. 
Linus, deep in thought, told to Charlie Brown, said, maybe we should think only about today, to which Charlie Brown, not known for great intellect and response, brought these words. He said, no, I'm not going to think about only today. That's giving up. I'm still hoping yesterday is going to get better. Can I tell you something about God? The Bible says that it's his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. God wants to give us all things, desiring that we rejoice. Matter of fact, God gives us today. And he said, this is the day that I have made. Rejoice and be glad in it. He tells us in another place, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And he said, I hold tomorrow. And I give you peace in that fact. But yet in scripture, the Bible talks about another day. We actually call it yesterday. Some of you know it. It's that once upon a time. To some it's the, I wish it had never happened. The if only, the woulda, shoulda, coulda, but didn't. I've always said it this way. Tomorrow is the today you worried about yesterday. The past has an interesting yet difficult aspect to it. And we have to come to grips with this place. There's some people that have great memories in the past. There's others possibly in this room that the past is more a nightmare than a memory. And what I want to do in this series over the next few weeks is I want us to do one thing, learn how to get past our past that we can get into and onto our future. Isaiah chapter 52, and I, I want to give you a picture. I, I've shared this many times that Isaiah is literally a miniature Bible in its entirety. There are 39 chapters or 39 books in the Old Testament. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah are preparing the people for the Lord. Just like the interesting thing, the 39 books of the Old Testament are preparing us for Christ. There are 27 chapters or books in the New Testament. The last 27 chap books or chapters of Isaiah are talking about the Lord's arrival and the new heaven and the new earth. Let me break it down. Verses, chapters 1 through 39, God's rebuke in Israel, challenging them to repent that they could be prepared to meet the Lord. And we know that the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, says that there is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. It's interesting. It begins the first chapter also 
of Matthew, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Chapters 40 through 45 talk about the restoration, talk about the building, talk about the renewal and the redemption. And interesting, chapters 56 through 66 of Isaiah talks about the new heavens and the new earth. You want to read the entire Bible in 66 chapters? Read the book of Isaiah. 66 books of the Bible, 66 chapters in one book. Probably the most prophetic book in all of Scripture. And I want to take you into Isaiah 52 because I want to help us to deal with something that's called the past. And I want to help us as today's message is titled, Getting Past Our Past Into Our Future. And over the next few weeks, I want to talk about this because we are going to be establishing the grace and the goodness of God and the plan and the purpose that God has for your life and for mine. And the first thing we have to do is let go of yesterday to reach into tomorrow. And you can only do that today. This is a celebration. One person said it this way, that yesterday is history. Tomorrow's a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. And we have balloons all over the place because we're in celebration mode. We're going into a new building. But also in this series, it can be the celebration of the first day of the rest of your life, if you let it. Is anybody in this place excited about the possibilities of what God has? <laughs> Isaiah 52, wake up, wake up, O Israel, O Zion. God's trying to get him out of, out of the past. He said, I know where you've been. I know what you've done. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your beautiful clothes, O holy city, Jerusalem. The unclean, the godless people will enter your gates no longer. Rise from the dust, O Jerusalem. Sit in a place of honor. You know what God's doing? He's trying to encourage them. They're kind of sitting back on their thumb thinking, poor, pitiful me. I know that doesn't apply to anybody in here, but I just thought I'd add that. Remove the chains of slavery from your neck. For this is what the Lord says, and I want to talk about this. When I sold you into exile. Hmm, what does that mean? I received no payment, and now I'll redeem you. I received nothing from the world, and now I'll redeem you. Not from what the world gives. Long ago, my people chose to live in Egypt, the scripture goes on to say. Now this, now they are oppressed in Assyria. What is this, the Lord asks? Why are my people enslaved again? Why do you keep going around the mountain? Why is it you go from one place of problems to another place of problems? Look at somebody and say, I think he's going to step on my toes along this journey. Because we do this. He says, I just got you out of Egypt now. It's Assyria. If you read through the scriptures, you'll find that it's Babylon. Look what he says here. Why are you enslaved again? Those who rule, they shout in exultation. They blaspheme my name. You see, this is what happens when we don't make a clear-cut stand for the Lord. We're always falling back into the same 
problem. We get into what I call that proverbial rut. And then I try to explain what a rut is. It's simply a grave with both ends kicked out. And we get into that over and over and over. But look what God says. I will reveal my name to my people and they will come to know its power. Then at last they will recognize that I am the one. And then here's that wonderful passage. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, the good news of peace, salvation, the news of God, of Israel reigning in prophetic line of the Messiah. After Isaiah 52, then it gets into clear cut, 52, 3, and 4. The one who is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace upon him, and by his stripes we were, we are healed. The The watchmen shout and sing for joy. Before their very eyes, the Lord is returning to Jerusalem. Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song and the Lord for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has demonstrated his power before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the victory of God. And then he exuberantly says, get out, get out and leave this captivity where everything you touch is a mess and is unclean. Get out of there. Purify yourselves. Stop going back to what you've fallen into time and time and time again. Look what he says here in the 12th verse. You will not leave in a hurry. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. Like you're running for your lives. That's what God says. He says, because I'm going to go before you. Yes, the God of Israel is also going to protect you from behind. Folks, look at me. He got my back. You can take that one to the bank. Not only he got my bank, my my bank. Not only he, well, he actually do have my bank. But not literally does he have my back. He's also blazing the way. He's also making a way where there seems to be no way. Let me break that down, that that interesting line in there. I sold you into exile and received no payment. I will buy you back in the same way. The scripture says that God allowed that to happen because we would not turn to him. Literally, you sold yourself and live in sin for free. This is what we do in this life when we reject Christ or we choose to be a closet Christian. We freely give ourselves to the service of Satan and sin, being slaves, not for profit, but for loss. Not for pleasure, but for pain. Not for honor, but for shame. Not for liberty, but for bondage. Not for riches and wealth, but poverty and want. But now, God says, you did all of that, but now understand, look what he says. Through the blood of Christ, not 
money. I'm going to redeem you. I am going to set you free from sin, from Satan, from shame, from the law, from the world, from death, from hell. I'm going to give you victory and I'm going to give you a future you can count on. First Peter chapter one, verse 18 says it this way. The ransom he paid was not mere gold and silver, but rather with the blood of Christ. Listen to me. We have been redeemed to God, the one whom we have sinned against, whom's, whose law we've broken, whose justice has to be satisfied. On Wednesday night, I'm teaching a series right now that has been quite incredible. Being guilty, yet living guilt-free. That was kind of the, the inception of this series that I'm doing because God wants us to understand his grace and goodness. Everything is in him. You see, the blood of Christ, not worldly goods, was the only price that was sufficient. Redemption, though it cost Jesus everything, it entirely set us free. And now we are free. Listen, not just from sin, but we have been given the freedom not to sin. You see, a slave has no option but to do what he is told to do. Jesus, through his blood, gave us the ability not to sin any longer. Can you say amen? He's given us redemption from bondage, from the slavery of the devil, the world, and the past, all by the power of God. Look at the psalmist wrote in 37th chapter. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's children begging for bread. Let me just quickly take you through this. We've had a long preliminary. So I'm going to go through this rather quickly. Number one, God wants to heal you from the pain of the past. Look at our text. He's telling Israel in verse one, awake, stir yourself, get excited. You know what he's telling them? Decide that you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Stir yourself. It's the same stir yourself that Paul told Timothy when he said, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Stir up those gifts. Literally, those things have become dormant, he is telling Timothy. He says, take the poker of your faith and start poking that ember and let it turn into a blazing fire for the glory of God one more time. Stir it up, he says. He's telling Israel, remember who I am, what I've done, what I want to do. Verse 2, he says, rise up, free yourself. Look at me. The only person that can free you from your bondage is you. The devil can't keep you, and God can't release you if you're okay to be there. Are you with me? Maintain yourself and stand Verses three through seven in our text says, you've gotten yourself into this. Okay, but I am going to get you out. So rejoice. 
verses 8 and 9 says, I'm going to show you the victory. You will know you have victory because in me you're going to have peace that you are the overcomer. Verse 10 says, all will know that I am the one that delivered you. You say, well, pastor, how are they going to know that? Because they're going to know the mess that you and I have made of our lives and that it would only take a miracle of God to get you someplace else. But then he tells us, he said, the Redeemer's coming. Verse 11, 12, go, sin, no more. I'm not interested in condemning, he said, but you have to understand the past is the past. Let it go and let me use it for good. Can somebody say amen? See, here's something I've learned over the years. The past can do one of two things. It can create a sense of security or one of great despondency. The security comes across this way, that that chapter is finally closed. Oh, thank God, it's over. And I no longer have to face those mistakes again. There's a sense of security that the past can give us. Or it can give us a sense of despondency in the question, is it really over? If it is, and this is what I'm talking about on Wednesday nights. Why do I constantly deal with the guilt, the frustration, the confusion of what could have been, but what never was? You see, when this happens, even though the past may be out of sight, folks, it is never out of mind. And Satan will make sure that he gives you a photographic memory of everything that didn't work out the way you wanted it to. How many say, Pastor, you just preached the home run right there? He shines it loudly. Matter of fact, these screens are nothing compared to the size of the screen of your past. It shines loudly. Can you say amen? Still some, now I want you to listen to this, they use their past as an excuse for their future. The truth that I've come to learn is excuses for the past are very simply the reason you have failures in your future. I met with my daughter yesterday. Most of you know I've been, most of you know I've been praying, and we've been praying. I'm a pastor. I've been pastoring for 30-plus years. My daughter's a pastor's kid, and she is drug, in drug addiction rehab right now. Prescription drugs. I talked to her yesterday, and I'm, I'm a pretty straightforward person. And I want to share with you my beliefs. Most of you are where we are because we chose to be there. Now, we can blame a doctor. We can blame a person. We can blame this. We can blame that, the other thing. But the choice is, is you're there. My wife's just sharing some things that I've shared forever. I come from a family of 10 kids. Almost all of my family is on some form of social assistance. What happened to me? Jesus. My, one of my older brothers died of complications of AIDS. He was a homosexual. He left that lifestyle, and I was had the privilege of leading him to Christ. But he still died. What happened to me? I remember doing his funeral. 
the pastor of the Methodist church that I was at in Kingman, Arizona, where I did a funeral. She's looking at my family. They're all there. And she's looking at me. And I'm watching this from across the room. I'm sitting at a table. And I'm watching her. She's looking at this side of the room where my family was. And I was sitting with one of my family, but uh, the rest of them were sitting someplace else. And then she was looking at me. She's looking at them. She's looking at me. And that went on for probably five minutes. And then the pastor walked up to me and said, what happened to you? <laughs> and I said the same thing that Deb, Deborah just said, Jesus. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I could be anything, but I chose to be a Christian. Amen. You see, you can blame anybody for where you're born. You can blame anybody for where you're raised. But you can't blame anybody for where you live and how you live. Oh, I, I, live on, I live on this side of the tracks, so that's all the money I have. Well, bless God, I've lived on that side of the tracks. And even though it wasn't the nicest place in town, it was a very nice place in that neighborhood. You know why? Jesus, I made a decision to make it something different. You see, God is telling the children of Israel, I'm fixing to do something. Now, all y'all might not know what fixing means but well, that's southern for you better get your seatbelt on, something big going to happen. He said, are you guys ready? Do something. Awake. Stir yourself. Stop making excuses about what was and what wasn't. You can use the excuse of the past to help you not deal with the frustrations of the future. But if you do this, you begin to shut down the possibilities of a future. Why? Because we'll no longer step up to step in if we're no longer willing to step out. As I've said, to many, the past becomes a great wall of security. But let me give you the fallacy of the security. That security says, I don't have to deal with this anymore. It's over. It's done. But then that haunting voice comes behind you, done? Until you need that diploma for a job. Until the police search a past record. Until a family member or friend dies. Is it really done? Is it really over? Then we begin to ask, why didn't I graduate? Why didn't I keep clean? Why didn't I spend more time with family, with friends? Why didn't I face life when I could have? And now what I wouldn't face in life, I have to face in death. See, whether we like it or not, the past has to be faced. And the problem with the past is it never fully goes away. Ecclesiastes 1 says it this way. There really is nothing new under the sun. Everything that has been will happen again. And realize that no matter what has happened in the past, it can still crop up sooner or later. Understand, if we're working through our past, we must face it. We must deal with it if we're ultimately going to ever get over it. Fear not, the word of God says. 
God has promised to do something with the past. He told the children of Israel the same thing he tells us today. If you will let me, I will work it together for your good. Fear not. I will make your past begin to work as a strength for your future. If you will let me. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They just finished in the uh, women's uh, Bible study, a series on the book of Daniel. Uh, Sister Anita led it and did an, aw- did an incredible job. And now Susan's going to take it up. Yeah, let Sister Anita know that she, you appreciate her. <laughs> Susan's going to take it to, uh, along the next way. And, and uh, incredible time, ladies, on Tuesday morning, if you're able to make it at 10 o'clock, right? They don't invite me. But at 10 o'clock Tuesday morning for the women, uh, just be there if you're at all possible. Well, they just did this, and they talked about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were talking to the king, and and Nebuchadnezzar built this great image and said, everybody has to worship Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were on fire Hebrew, Jews. Daniel as well. They wouldn't bow down. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do anything that would come against their God. And when they heard the news and they had the great demonstration, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Now think about it. My wife and I just watched the movie God's Not Dead Part 2. If you have not seen it, you should see it. I had, I've had several people come out of the movie and come back to me and say, Pastor, did you write the script for that movie? Because all the stuff you're preaching, that's what that movie's about. Focus out rocket science. The world is coming down in America on Christian liberty, religious freedom. It's happening right in front of our eyes. The little school teacher that was put on trial there, she said, no, I'm not going to say I'm sorry because that would mean I didn't really believe what I said I believe. I'm not going to backpedal on this thing. See, that's what God's telling the children of Israel and Isaiah. Are you guys ready to do something about the mess you got yourself into? You see, we're talking about the grace and goodness of God. You say, well, Pastor, how do, I, how do I live in the grace of goodness of God? You don't back down. You don't backpedal. Look what it says here. We don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the fiery furnace, okay. Listen to what they said. The God we serve will be able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand. Well, you talk about taking bold pills that morning. They must have had a double portion of Wheaties or something. You say, well, pastor, what if I stand up and it still doesn't go that way? Well, look at the rest of the verse. It's on the screen. But even if he does not, look at me. Are you okay with that? Even if standing up costs, even if standing up, you see the big picture 
the grace and goodness of God says, I'll never let you go through anything you can't handle. I'll always make a way. But sometimes standing up might shut you down. Look what it says here. Even if he does not, we want you to know this, king, we will still not serve your gods. We will still not. See, this is what got Israel into the mess over and over. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, over and over and over. Stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down. The stand up was God's grace. The fall down was their rebellion. And if we look at your life and my life, we'll find out it's the same, it's the same track record. Because we have this issue with this verse. But what if God doesn't do what I'm believing him to do? I'm still not going to give in. You see, this is where the grace and goodness of God takes care. You see, to get past our past, we have to build confidence in Christ that we have a future. Because of haunting past failures, we give ourselves to fear of repeating the same failures. And because of this, many give up and won't try any longer. Therefore, the past imprisons and darkens the hope of future. Look at Psalm 51. Psalm 51. King David fell with Bathsheba. We know the story. We have read it. If not, we've heard it in Sunday school. Very different places. But look at David. David is now confronted by Nathan. And he said, okay, I, I did it. I'm guilty. I'm not going to pass the buck. I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to push to that person or to that person. I was sharing with the story about visiting my daughter and being a straightforward dad. I said, honey, what are you going to do? You get out this Wednesday. She's been in there 30 days. She's done it before. She's been in before. The thing I appreciate about this place is they actually put the responsibility pack on the person. The last place we kind of had a meltdown with me being there because I told him, I said, you're, you're taking all the responsibility off these people and putting it on the parents, putting it on society, putting it on life, putting it on this, putting it on that. How do you ever expect them to come out of where they're at? They don't have to. You give them permission to blame everybody else. I remember I was sitting there with my daughter and the counselor was talking and she could see by my body language. My daughter said, dad, 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 because she knows dad. And all, all of a sudden, how was it said? I stands all I can stands and I can't stands no more. The Popeye came out of me. And the counselor saw that I was irritated. Mr. Masters, or do you have something you want to say to the class? Yes, I do. And so I did. And she said, do you have authority? Are you a doctor? I said, as a matter of fact, I am. Of course, I didn't tell her my doctorate was in ministry and, and, and divinity and, and theology. 
But I definitely had a higher power than what is in that room. And so people were excited. They, they, they actually, you see, can I tell you something about folks? Can I tell you about the person sitting in your chair? You really do know you're responsible, and you really do want to accept that. You just want to know there's a way I can do it without killing myself. Look at somebody and say, he really is stepping on my toes now. We really do want to be responsible. You know why? God made us that way. Look at the 51st Psalm. David, God forgives him, but look what he says here. Oh, loving and kind God, have mercy. Have pity upon me and take away, listen to this, the awful stain of my transgression. Take, take a pencil or a pen on your notes there and put through that word transgression and just write the words past sin. Or sins. I want to be generous and say one, only one sin, but past sins. Take away this awful stain. Wash me, cleanse me from the guilt. You see, David understands that when we mess up, there's guilt and condemnation that comes along with it. Look what he says here. Let me be pure again, God. I admit my shameful deed. But it haunts me day and night. How many can say amen? Against you, God, and you alone, I've done this. You saw it all. And your sentence against me is just. It's right. Give me wisdom, God. You know my heart. Sprinkle me with the cleansing blood that I'll be clean again. Wash me that I can be whiter than snow. After you have punished me. See, David had that mindset that God's still wanting to, to punish him. But God said, I'm not interested in condemning you. But look what he says. I want my joy back. How many of you don't raise your hand, but you've done stuff. You've been places. You fell over and over and over again. And it's just tough to get that joy back. It's tough to get back to that place that you once were. See, that's what the enemy does. Look what, look what David says. Don't keep looking at my sins. Erase them from your sight. Once again, he's dealing from the human aspect. And then he says these words, create me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit, clean thoughts, right desires. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy. I'm excited about this next women's study that Susan's getting into and then Tomorrow night, the Philippians 4, 8 principle on the joy. Folks, if you have hope, you have joy. If you don't have joy, somebody's trying to steal your hope. And greater is he that's in you. See, like David, even though the sun was shining and he knew God is forgiven, he still felt defeated and he remained guilty. Why is it that we can be forgiven and still feel so bad. Sins washed away, yet still feel dirty because we have a moral conscience that must be dealt with. God put it in there as the fulcrum for the scale of your life. That's why nobody has to tell you right or wrong. You know what it is before you ever do it because God put that balance in you. It's called your conscience. And when you do wrong, your conscience tells you. The thing that God tells us is be careful that your conscience doesn't get seared 
You say, well, Pastor, how's a conscience get seared? We do the same thing over and over and over again and ignore the prodding of the Holy Spirit. You see, the grace and goodness of God will never stop drawing, will never stop challenging. Hebrews 10 says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of our faith. Listen to what it says here, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from this guilty conscience. Jesus said in John 3, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you. That's verse 17. We're familiar with John 3, 16. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And then in chapter 8, verse 11, he tells the adulterous woman, where's your accusers? And Jesus said, or the, the woman said, there, there are none, Lord, that condemn me. And look what he says. I don't condemn you either. But listen to me. Go and sin no more. Sure doesn't sound like a big deal, does it? Why is it? Wednesday nights, you've got to come Wednesday nights. I'm talking about all this stuff. Let me begin to wrap this up. In all our failures and futile ambitions, one thing is sure. The blood of Jesus has set us free. His grace and goodness has given us victory over sin. We go through things, and he allows us to be sold into slavery. Because that's what our life is. That's what we're doing. Like Bob Dylan famously said, you got to serve somebody. You can tell that guy's got a gift. He can't sing and he still became famous. You know what he did? He did it that we might learn from our past and not go there again, that we can become victorious in our future. In our text, it says we literally don't have to run and hide. We can boldly come into his presence. See, God does all of this by making us secure today. We can face each moment, each day, each month, each year with confidence knowing if God is for me, who can be against me? You can read that in Romans chapter five, uh, chapter 8. We're not going to go to that, that slide, Bob, or Paul. But I am actually put it up there. I want you to go to the very last of it. Look what it says here. All the powers of hell itself cannot keep us from God's love. The fears for today or the worries about tomorrow. God says, hey, I'll take care of it. Look what it says in Isaiah 54. There is no weapon that's formed against you that will prosper. Look what it says here, ladies and gentlemen. They won't prevail. You will refute every tongue that rises against you. We're in, we're in, Isaiah, uh, we're in Isaiah 54. It's on the screens. Look what it says. This is our heritage. 
as the children of God. I'm going to let the screens catch up. Did it freeze up, Paul? Is it froze up? Oh. In your notes, God allows the past to check our present because he wants to give us strength for our future. You see what God wants to do? He doesn't want to do do away with your past. He wants you to learn from it. Learn from where you've been. There's something I learned a long time ago. If I ever forget where I've been, I'll never get where I'm going. Why? Because if I don't learn from the past, it has this uncanny ability to repeat itself. But let me give you some words of encouragement this morning. The past is simply that, past. It's over. In our text in Isaiah 52, 12, he said, listen to me. I'm going to go before you and I'm going to come behind you. The devil's not going to be able to sneak in and slip you up. I am going to be there. I'm going to be the first. I'm going to be the last. I'm going to be the beginning. I'm going to be the end. I'm going to be the alpha. I'm going to be the omega. Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you something about God? You can trust him all the way, every way, every day, in everything. But you got to say, okay, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. God, your grace and goodness will take me. Hold me. Keep me. Oh, will you guys give me five minutes? How many will give me five minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 20. I want to do so. I wasn't, I, you know, I thought about doing this and then I looked at the clock. Would you all mind if I sang a song for you? Okay. May I borrow your guitar? Yeah, the Baptist is going to beat us to lunch today. I'm sorry. Can I borrow your guitar, Steve? May I? Thank you. Will you come control it for me, please? <laughs> I. Sorry. This song, as I was putting this sermon together, this song just came back to me. And I actually, thank you. I actually sang this song to the church here several years ago. Oh, I lost it. Thank the Lord I didn't drop it. Steve loves me, but he might kill me. I'm on a chord, yes. Okay. Can you hear it? Could you give me some monitors, please? So I can hear there. 
not that much. Turn it down. You say winners don't need a crutch. today as the worship team comes you see I lost the past church I lost what was I lost the woulda coulda shouldas and I said God I'm interested in what is going to be you gave your life that I could have life that's his grace that's his goodness Are you ready to receive it? Are you ready to let go of your past? Are you ready for a glorious future? You know, say, Pastor, I'm not not sure what the future holds. You don't have to be. All you have to be is confident in the one that holds the future. I just want you to look at me. It's five minutes till 12 try to get you out here to quarter till 12 but I think you realize that 
maybe today is a turning point for you too. It's a turning point for us as a church. God's got a great future, a glorious plan. But he says, what will you do with it? He told Israel, come on, rise up, shake it off. Get over it. That's what they were trying to do. We know the end result of Israel. They've got themselves in a mess after mess after mess. But what about you? Where's your life right now? The grace and goodness of God wants to say, let's take the past and get it past. Past. Because I have a great future. Are you ready for it? It's very simple. You say, God, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I am going to go and sin no more. I'm not going to go back and do what I used to do. There's an old, what they call them, speaker, motivational speaker. Said these words, if you always do what you always done, you'll always get what you always got. Now that ain't good English, but it is good preaching. It's time to get out of that rut. It's time to say, nope, no more. The Redeemer has redeemed me. My old life has passed. Good, bad, right, wrong. You say, Pastor, I'm still dealing with some stuff. Great. You're dealing with it. You're facing it. And now you're moving on. Say, God, what is it you have today that'll take me? Father, in this place, I pray, I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your people. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us get past our past. God, by your grace and by your goodness, help me to do all you call me to do. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. Yeah.